Thanks for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange, visit www.theexchange.cc or you can visit us for one of our Sunday gatherings each Sunday at 9.15 and 11 a.m. And thank you all for being here. Happy Thanksgiving week to everyone. All right, maybe we're the first to tell you that. We've got some kids in the room. They're really, really pumped because there's no school this week. All right, grateful to have you guys in here with us. And we got some moms and dads who are, uh, they're pumped. All right, you, you get at least a few days off. And if you're a teacher, like you get the whole week off. And so you've been looking forward to this thing very secretly for about three months. Okay, we don't ask you to identify yourself, but we know how that works. I mean, hopefully maybe for some of you getting ready to hit the road later this week to go hang out with family um, and to enjoy food. Food and just to enjoy a Thanksgiving week. Uh, you know, some of you uh, perhaps are preparing to eat more and consume more this week than you have all 11 months leading up to this week. Like you just set and locked and ready. I've never known of a sane person um, to take a diet on Thanksgiving week. Like that's just, that is a setup for failure. Um, but you know, Thanksgiving is, it seems to be marked by different foods. And uh, maybe you're one of those people that like, you have to have a certain food at Thanksgiving or it's not really Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. And so just a quick poll of the audience real quick. How many of you are, are turkey people? Like you have to have the turkey. Don't don't give me ham. Like give me the turkey. I want the white stuff. Okay. And then how many of you are dressing people? Like you, you, it's oh man, all about the dressing. Okay. My wife is cheering you on. She is like full hardcore dressing, but her favorite is not the day of. It's like three days later when it's cold. She's just eating dressing. That's just kind of her deal. How many of you are cranberry sauce people? Like you don't finish my meal without cranberry sauce. Okay. I think my son discovered cranberry sauce at a family thing. Thanksgiving yesterday and consumed almost the whole can. Uh, that was just all he was about, cranberry sauce. Um, how many of you are my kin folks and you like sweet potato casserole? Yes. Okay. Awesome. Mash, uh, the marshmallows on top. Okay. Don't give me it without the marshmallows on top. That, I like to just call that dessert with the meal. That's what. The, that's really what that is, if you're honest. Uh, and my grandmother, she used to prepare it and it was like a whole pound of sugar went into the sweet potato casserole. And then how many of you are really my folks and it's just all about the pie or the cake after it's all over with? Okay. Yeah. If you know me, you know, dessert is my love language. And uh, so for me, man, that's, that's just a big part of it. I mean, Thanksgiving is, it's a fun week, man. It's a special time, uh, a holiday that began nearly 400 years ago, um, where some pilgrims from Massachusetts began to celebrate and still very much a holiday um, and a week of time where we look forward to being with family or maybe hanging out with friends or maybe getting some downtime, but especially surrounding food. We love to surround food around Thanksgiving. But you know, the original day of Thanksgiving was big built around this idea of giving thanks for the harvest of the previous year. That's where this whole thing started. But because of our culture and because of our world, it's influenced this day and this week and this idea so much. Um, but yet still this week, um, perhaps on Thursday, there will be thousands, if not millions of people in our country who will gather around a dining table full of food or they'll gather in a living room and they will go around and they will say or talk about things that they are thankful for. And hopefully as followers of Jesus, as Christ's church, we would be able to look at and see all of the ways that God has been tangibly faithful to us and that we could be very grateful and thankful for those things. You know, we as a people, we've got a lot to be grateful for. But today, here's what I want us to do. In just a very few minutes together, I want us to think about how to allow our gratitude to begin to affect our generosity. How to allow our gratitude to affect our giving, or maybe we could say it this way, how to allow the thanks of thanksgiving to begin to affect the giving of thanksgiving. So if you've got a copy of scripture, we're going to be there for a few minutes today. Second Corinthians chapter 9 is where we'll be. 
So if you go to the back half of your Bible, kind of split it in half, you're probably going to land somewhere in the uh, Corinthians, Galatians neighborhood. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is where we'll be. And if you don't have a copy of Scripture, we'll put it up on the screen behind me just for you to, uh, to track along. And as Paul writes to the church at Corinth, I believe he's giving them some instructions on what we just said, how to allow our gratitude to affect our giving and to affect our generosity. And here's what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're going to kick off in verse 6. Paul says this, he says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, there are a few different things that I want us to kind of draw out of this passage today. And so if you're taking notes, here's the first big idea, truth for the day, is that giving goes against our nature. Giving, if we're really honest, goes against our nature. Giving, or as this verse calls it, sowing, it fights against our human nature. And if it didn't, then Paul would have never had to address the crowd that said, hey, you might sow sparingly. You might give sparingly. But he knew that was part of the crowd, perhaps the majority of the crowd, and so he speaks into them. And, and here's what Paul is saying. He's saying that giving goes against our nature. Now, a few weeks ago, uh, my wife and I took our three-year-old son, Braylon, to go shopping for a birthday present for a friend of his because we were going to this friend's birthday party. All right. Any of you parents ever had that joy before of taking your child shopping for a birthday present for another child? Isn't that just delight your soul? Okay. Isn't that one of the joys of being a parent? Uh, and so we informed my son walking into the store, hey, buddy, we're, be thinking about something that your friend might like because we're going to pick out something for your friend and then we're going to wrap it and then we're going to take it to your friend's birthday party. It's going to be about your friend. Yeah, you, you know that went really well, right? Just as scripted. Okay, so what happens is Braylon walks through the toy section of the store going, I want that and that and that, and I want that for me, and I want to take it home, oh yeah, by the way, right now. Would you pay for this? That's how it went down. And so, again, we reminded him over and over and over, no, this is not about you, this is about your friend, and so we're purchasing something for your friend, so think about what your friend might like. And if you've been in that joyous situation before, you know how that typically goes down, doesn't it? Right, it? It ends with 30 minutes of mom and dad going back and forth, ends up, you know, fighting back and forth, trying to figure out what we think the friend would want. And the whole time Braylon's in the corner pouting because he's not getting the toy that he thinks he wanted. And now he doesn't even want to go to the birthday party, which is the whole reason we left the house in the first place. Can anybody identify if I've been alone in that? All right. We've been there before. You know, clearly, like our teaching on giving and sharing and generosity at my house, going great. We'll write a book. You guys can buy it, all right? No, man, what my three-year-old is demonstrating in that moment and what's so true of every single one of us is that giving goes against our flesh. Giving goes against our nature and especially, especially when it requires a sacrifice on our part. See, if I came to you today and I was, said, hey, I'd love for you to maybe, we need you to donate a couple of items of clothing out of your closet to someone who's in need, probably not going to get a lot of pushback on that. Hey, we'll go find a couple of things. But then if I said, hey, we really need you to donate all of the new clothing items that you bought last year to this family or this individual who's in need. Well, hold up, cat. We got to put the brakes on with that one. Why? Because giving goes against our nature, especially when it requires sacrifice. But what Paul is saying here is, he says, although our nature is to keep, Paul tells the church here in 2 Corinthians 9, our call is to give. 
Our, our call as Christ followers is to walk in generosity. You see, culture in this world would say stock up and keep more and get more. And the more you have, the better you are. But what Paul says here in God's word is to give. And not just to give. He didn't just stop there. But he said give generously. Give generously. Although it may go against everything in our flesh, the calling on us as Christ followers is to walk with generosity. But then I love a second point that Paul makes there in verse 6. He points out another thing when he says, whoever sows or gives generously, he says, will also reap generously. Now, it would be really easy to read that and think, oh, I need to give more because then I'll receive more back, right? And in some parts of our culture, that's what people think. But what Paul's saying, no, he says, you never give with receiving in mind, but we give out of obedience. We give out of a response. But, he says, do notate that your giving or your sowing is directly connected to your reaping and your receiving. He says, don't give with receiving in mind, but realize that the two are connected. In other words, the seed that you put out at the beginning of the season will directly affect the harvest that you reap at the end of the season. And I believe God is clear in his word that God honors and God provides for and he takes care of those of his kids who walk in generosity. So the first big idea today is that giving goes against our nature. But look back what Paul says next, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. He says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves, check this, a cheerful giver. In verse 8, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Here's the second idea. I think that Paul kind of pulls out of 2 Corinthians 9, is that cheerful giving leads to supplied serving. Cheerful giving leads to supplied serving. Let me kind of help that make sense a little bit more. Paul again emphasizes, he says, we can't give begrudgingly, but instead our generosity should come from a place of joy. He says God loves a cheerful or a joyful giver. And so if you put that together with the first truth we made just a second ago, how in the world am I supposed to live and give with joy when it goes against my nature? Like, I don't wake up thinking about how I can be generous. It's not my default. How in the world can I walk and live and give generously and with joy when it's not who I am? Well, I think the answer is really pretty simple. The answer is that our joy cannot come solely from our giving. Our joy cannot come solely from our giving. I believe that our joy begins and ends with Jesus. Uh, you hear that and you're like, well, yeah, of course, that's a churchy preacher answer. Jesus, right? Just always say Jesus. But, but seriously, I believe what Paul is trying to help us understand is that our joy, the, the joy tank of your life must first and foremost be filled with the understanding of how God has loved you and, and what Jesus has done for you, that he has bought you and he has redeemed you and he's chosen you and he's adopted you into his family and he's paid for you and he's wiped your sins as far as the east is from the west. And when that becomes not just church talk, but when that becomes the driving motivation of your life and the identity of who you are, it begins to affect every area of your life, including your giving, including your generosity. But you see, then when we begin to understand where our joy comes from, we are able to give joyfully. But check this out. Paul says in verse 8, he says, Don't forget that Jesus, the joy giver, if you will, 
will also supply you with everything that you need, is what the NIV says. Everything that you need. But again, let's be really careful in the way that we interpret that to understand that God will supply us with everything that we need and not necessarily everything that we want, all right? Because some of us have been going, hey, that 80-inch at Best Buy, like, it would look really, really good on the mantle. Like, I, I could build an extended mantle if I need to just to get that bad boy up there. Like, I think I need that, okay? Maybe we could argue on whether you need that or not. Or maybe you're going, I really like that new car in the driveway. I know it's not brand new, it's used, but it would look really good in my driveway, in my parking spot at the office. And maybe that's not what you need. Maybe it's a little more what you want. But what Paul's saying is, he says, our God is faithful. He is faithful to provide you with everything that you need. And what he says particularly is he says, God will bless you abundantly so that you will have all you need for you to abound. Here it is, in every good work. For you to abound in every good work, everything that you need for every good work. Well, what's the good work? Well, is it your job? Well, I mean, I, I hope you do good work at your job. Maybe your job blesses other people and what you do, and that's awesome. But I believe what Paul is alluding to here, the good work, is the work of making the grace and the love of Jesus, spreading and sharing that with everyone that we come in contact with, with all those in our circles of life. I believe that's the work that Paul is talking about. And so what Paul is saying is that God will supply us with everything that we need to share the name and the grace and the love and the hope of Jesus, which ultimately is the greatest gift we can give and is the greatest gift anyone can receive. See, when God sees our wise stewardship, as individuals, as families, as a church family, when we're generous with our resources and our time and our energy, I believe God continues to increase the flow of his supply so that we can continue to join him in his mission. I believe God works in unison with those who are in unison with his mission. And God loves to provide for those who are about his good work. And the more that we come up under the plans and the purposes of God, and the longer we follow him, the more we begin to understand God's heart and how he sees people and how he longs to honor people and how he wants to take care of people. And then as our plans and purposes align with him, then he increases the supply so that we have everything that we need for every good work. However, I think there's a little bit of a flip side. And I believe a depleted pot, if you will, or a lack of supply can almost always be connected back to disconnected and discontented giving. I believe a, a lack of supply can almost always be connected back to disconnected and discontented giving. See, when we fail to live and give with joy, or when we do so begrudgingly rather than going, God, I want to honor you with what's really already yours, and I'm just saying, God, I trust you, and I want to live with your purposes in mind. When we fail to live and to give in that way, Many times we will find ourselves with a lack of supply. And maybe it's not always a lack of supply financially and resource-wise, but there will be a lack of supply in our joy and in our peace because we're not walking in unison with God's purposes to be provided for in every good work. So two things Paul says. Giving goes against our nature. But when you learn to give and live cheerfully, you will have everything that you need for the supplied serving, for every good work that I've called you to. But I want us to see the last uh, four or five verses of this passage. 2 Corinthians 9, go back to verse 11. That's what Paul says. He says, you'll be enriched. You'll be honored. You'll be blessed. You'll be taken care of in every way so that you can be generous 
on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And this service that you perform, this giving, is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Verse 13, because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Verse 14, check this out. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace that God has given to you. And finally, verse 15. So thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Here's the third truth. That's the last one that I believe Paul gives us is that giving leads to worship from us and from others. Giving leads to worship from us and from others. God's word says in verse 12 that your giving, what Paul says, is overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. In other words, when we give joyfully and generously, not only do we ultimately bless other people, but we ultimately worship God. Now, what Scripture's trying to tell us is that giving is a part of our worship. Now, we live in the Bible Belt culture, and so when you say the word worship or you come to church for the worship, what you coming for? You coming for the singing, ain't you? Right? I like the singing part. Okay, I don't know about the preacher, but I like the worship. We come for the worship, or we don't really like the worship, and so we try to come late because we don't want the worship. We want the preaching, and, and that's how we think about worship. But when we really look at Scripture, we begin to understand that the response of our lives is worship. It's, it's all worship. And so the way that we give and the way that we sow, as 2 Corinthians 9 says, is a part of our worship response to God. And when we give with the right attitude and the right intentions, we don't just bless others, but we lift up the name of Jesus and God is honored and he's glorified and we worship him with a purity of heart. But Paul says your giving not only means worship from you, but he says it also results in worship from other people. Verse 13, what Paul says, he says, others will praise God for the obedience that comes with your giving. In other words, when we give out of the overflow of what God has done in us, others see the love of Jesus in us and they are led to worship him also. Check this out. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. This is what Jesus says to Christ, his Christ followers, his children. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Check out verse 16. Do not miss this. In the same way, let your light, let your life shine before others that they may see your good deeds and then glorify your Father who is in heaven. Paul says when we echo the praise and the worship of Jesus through our giving, that song of worship to Jesus begins to echo not only in our life, but it begins to echo in the lives of the people that God has put around us. And they begin to understand more clearly the character of our God and the love of our Savior. And the reality is, church, that God is the greatest giver. He went first. 
And He gave us the greatest gift in His Son as He sent Him from place of perfection to become one of us. And then Jesus became the ultimate giver. As He went to the cross for you and for me, and He gave everything. His life. Why? So that we might have life. And so I believe in response to a generous God and a perfectly generous Savior, the only response of His church, of His people, of those who claim to be in Christ, is to be a generous and giving people. And I think it's no more clearly summed up than in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. This is what John writes. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent, or we could say He gave, His one and only Son into the world. Here's my boy. That we might do what? That we might live through Him. Verse 10, this is love. Not that we love God, but that He went first. He loved us and He sent or He gave His Son as an atoning, as a paying sacrifice for your sins and mine. And verse 11 says, dear friends, since God so loved and gave to us, Take that in. Realize what he's done for us. And since he's done that, we also ought to love and give to one another. And then I love verse 12. No one's ever seen God. No one's ever just reached out and tangibly grabbed him. But if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. And my prayer would be that as the church, that God, that Jesus, that our worship would always result in continual generosity and giving of our lives so that others might be led to worship Him also. Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange or to find out how you can connect with or support what God is doing, visit www.theexchange.cc. Now go, be the church, and give life.